If you engage in something, you're going to probably need to disengage from something else, right? If you're going to engage into drive, you have to disengage from park or reverse or neutral. You got to engage and drive. And there's a habit that all of us do really well. In fact, uh, this message is not going to leave anyone out in the cold. It really is going to address all of us in this room, probably more me than anybody else in this room, but, but it's going to address all of us in this room. And, and it's going to address this because we all have this habit that really kind of stiff arms people when we want to stiff arm them from messing in areas of our life that we don't want them in. How many know you got a pretty good stiff arm, right? You know, when you don't want someone to talk. And, and it's the habit of making excuses, no bumping each other with your elbows and no sending text messages to other people about you need to watch this message. I'm going to send it to you. You know, take care of the beam in your own eye before you worry about the speck in theirs, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit of there, or just kind of go through it quickly. It says, I press on, not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, so I haven't arrived at all that God has for me. doesn't matter how old you are, Glenn. It doesn't matter if you're 96 in this room, 97, whatever he is now. Um, and we're going to have an all-church birthday party when he turns 100. Uh, you want to be there for that. It doesn't matter how old he is or how young the youngest person in this room is. You've not obtained what God's called you heavenward for. Because when you're done, he's going to take you home. It'll take you to that place, right? So I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Yeah, I, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal. I'm not going to make excuses for why I can't. I'm going to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Who are, and, and here's what it says, who are mature should not, won't make excuses. What's maturity? Well, I don't drink, smoke, chew, or date girls who do. That's not maturity. Maturity is when you stop making excuses about your disobedience. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. And then, and then he says this, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. So here's, if I'm going to like paraphrase what we're going to kind of talk about today, is we, it's not hard to be obedient when God is telling us something we should do and we want to do it. It is hard to be obedient when we don't want to do what God is telling us to do. And then we stiff arm God and you say, how do we do that? We make excuses. Well, I can't do it, God. Can't do it. Can't tithe. Why? Because I don't got enough money. Well, you don't have enough money because you ain't tithing. Can't go on a mission trip. Why? I got my excuses, right? I'm allergic to other countries. I can't go, I can't go do ministry. Why? Because I just can't. I'm not educated enough. I haven't learned enough. I don't know enough. I can't share the gospel with the person because they might make fun of it. And I'm and you know, I got I got fear rejection problems. <laughs> right? You see, you can be delivered from the prison you're in. You can be delivered and not be free. 
Because God doesn't view freedom as getting out of something. God views freedom as literally running in what he created you to run in. Being who you are when your identity comes out and it shows out in your life. Now, my wife and I, we, we like to climb uh, like do mountain uh, trails and climbs and stuff. And um, we enjoy going to Phoenix. It's one of the places we enjoy going in the country. At some point, we may even retire there. We don't know. But we spend some time, like we'll go down there to get away out of this. When, how many know sometimes you just got to get out of the cold to remind yourself that there is a sun and it does get warm, <laughs> Right? I love Minnesota. Love Minnesota in the summertime. It's, you know, it's one of my best. Fourth July in Minnesota is like the best in the world, right? Would you agree? It's just a great place. But the winter does challenge that belief. And we'll go to Phoenix, and, um, and we'll there's a mountain there in Phoenix called Superstition Mountain. How many know what mountain that is, right? It's the most beautiful mountain in Phoenix, I think, Heather thinks. And there's a bunch of trails on it, and we'll go climb up. And one of them, if you watched Life Hacks... Uh, the life hack on worship, uh, we filmed going up that pass to Wave Cave. And this path is hard to find. We actually had someone tell us how to get there. Heather had said, I want to go to Wave Cave. I want to go to the Wave Cave. And, uh, and so we kind of talked to some people. They told us how to get there. And they said, you're going to walk about 9.9 miles. And, and, then, then the, and then the trail starts, the trailhead starts to go up the, go up the mountain. It's about a 45-minute climb. And that's great, right? And uh, so we get there, and there's some people, and we said, yeah, we're looking for the wave cave. It's coming, because we're walking on a path. 0.9 miles seemed a lot longer than 0.9 miles. Have you ever been on those, like, this is, we surely went a mile, like, right? And uh, anyway, we, we get there, and these people are like, yeah, you're going to come to a T in the road, and uh, then go straight. I just be virtue T, you know, straight, okay. But you know how sometimes you act like you know what they're talking about and you really don't have a clue? Oh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. And then you walk away and you said, do you have any idea what they're doing? No. And like, you didn't ask, right? So we keep walking. Sure enough, here comes the T in the road to the right and the left, and there's this barbed wire fence that goes all the way quite a distance that way into the right. And they said to us, don't go right or left. We did that and we got lost. And so we get there and there's a barbed wire fence. There's like no way to get over this barbed wire fence. How do we go straight? There's a barbed wire fence. Right? There's no way we do that. So we went 30 feet, 40, 50 feet that way and there's no way around it. We thought maybe you walk around it and then go straight and then we went this way and there's no way. And then I walked up to the barbed wire fence real close. You couldn't see it. It was so perfectly aligned. It looked like it was preventing you from going straight. But if you got really close to it, there was about a foot and a half gap between the two fences. They overlapped and you just went around. So if you're ever at the wave cave, walk up to the fence, Right? <laughs> And it's a lot like excuses in our life. It appears there's no way to pass it. There's no way around it that we create these things in our mind that even at some point we lie to ourselves so well that we believe there's no way to pass it. And when you go up and you actually look at the excuse, you realize it's no more than a paper wall. Trying to be perceived as it can't be passed. When in reality you can go right around it. And then we got to the wave cave and it was a great experience. It was a great opportunity, it was a lot of fun. Why? Because we didn't let the barbed wire fence prevent us from taking the journey. See, a lot of us 
are, are allowing our excuses to prevent us from experiencing the adventure God created you for. And you are bored out of your mind in Christianity and you're looking for other things to celebrate and to get excited about because you're not finding it in the kingdom of God because you keep making excuses. Do you really think God wants you to be bored? I love getting them to come to church and they're bored out of their mind. That brings glory to me. You really think God wants you to be bored that he created us? to worship, to be amazed, so that we're amazed by what Satan is doing because we stiff-arm God and what he wants to do through you. You have to disengage from your excuses so that you can engage in the adventure God has for your life. So uh, what I want to talk about is this habit of making excuses, and we'll talk about how to disengage from that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, it's a very familiar passage. It says, for though we live as human beings, how many human beings in here, right? I, I'm just checking for aliens, you know, that's a thing now. And if you're here and you're an alien, we see you. We'll, we'll cast the demon out of you. We do not wage war according to human standards, for the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons. So when God tells us to do something, we're not going to use human weapons, the stiff-arm gob, which is really making excuses, but, are made, but, but we're made powerful by God by the tearing down of our excuses. Because an excuse is a stronghold, and there are positive strongholds and there are negative strongholds, but often excuses are, are negative. In fact, Pretty much almost always excuses are negative. But we, we tear down excuses, arguments, every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought, excuse, captive and make it obey Christ. We are also ready to punish every act of disobedience with when your obedience is, is complete. Let's make no mistake about it. This really, excuses are really all about what I want to do as opposed to what other people want me to do or what God wants me to do. And we're so good at it, right? Wouldn't you agree? We're good at me. Just turn to, you hate it when I do this, but you could turn to that person next to you and say, you know what, you're really good at making excuses. I just wanted to say I noticed, I've noticed how good you are at making excuses, really. You're, you're really special. <laughs> Scott over there saying, I've had years of practice at it. <laughs> Thank you, but it was all the Holy Spirit. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Excuses create the perception that something is impossible to accomplish when in reality it is only a mirage. From a distance, an excuse can actually look like a reason you know, there's a reason I can't be a worship pastor. There's a reason I can't tithe. There's a reason I can't go on a mission trip. There's a reason I can't preach the gospel to the people I work with. There's a reason I can't invite people over to my home for a small group. There's a reason why I'm not going to share Jesus and his love with my neighbors. There's a reason why I'm not going to disciple someone. There's a reason why I'm not going to pray for the sick. There's, there's a re and really, all it is is us making excuses. So my excuses get passed off as reasons, and my reasons become becauses. And all of us have some becauses in our life, right? That habitually hide, that we habitually hide behind. So 
Why don't you? Well, because. Why haven't you? Well, because. Why don't you start? Because. Why don't you stop? Because. Why don't you forgive? Because. Why don't you quit? Because. Why don't you choose to leave? Because. Why don't you just tell them? Because. Well, you fill in the blank. Because, 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 because. All of the wonderful things. He, oh, no. It's because when someone says, why don't you do that? You know, God told you to do that. I know. Why didn't you do it? Because. Well, I got a reason. Right? We don't sit there and say, I got an excuse. Nobody says, this is my excuse for not doing it. Right? We say, this is my reason for not doing it. This is, a, this is the reason. Even though if you pushed on that reason, you would discover it's an excuse. Somebody comes to us, you say, hey, God told you to go on that missions trip. You might say, someone might say, hey, you're just making excuses. Or they may say, quit making excuses. And you're like, no, it's a real reason. Like, this is real. Like, you're fabricating something in your mind to feel better about being disobedient. So you're stiff-arming God. Right? I want to go through life doing what I want to do and feeling good about it. So leave me alone. How many know when people push on your excuses, they don't really li- you don't really like it very much when they poke through the wall? Right? Moses. Moses is sitting there and God's like, Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, I can't talk. Well, I can't do this. Well, how would they? And then at the very end, after three excuses, God pokes through his excuses. At the very end, Moses goes, I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And it's a natural response to dress up an excuse as an attempt to pass it off as a reason. Isn't it easy to notice when our kids are making excuses or our boss or in employees, or, or even when your parents are making excuses and you're trying to help them move to the next stage of life. Isn't it so easy to see when other people are making excuses? You can see them making excuses from a mile away. But you struggle to see your excuses from six inches in front of your face. When it is right there. I, was, I had a chance. We were actually in Phoenix over in December. We did a family thing, and, and, um, and then we were in Phoenix. And Brad Johnson, who's a, a very, very good golfer, was a pro golfer in Richfield. Uh, often in December, they'll fly down to Phoenix, and we'll be down there, and then we play golf. Right? And, uh, and, and when you have that nice weather, you have to play golf. I mean, it's just, well, you got to. It's, it's our reason. <laughs> and... Uh, so we went down there, and I beat this guy for the first time. It, it, he, he said he would, he, he t- talks trash. And I said I never would, but I did. And then the next day, the next day, he crushed me. I mean, but I beat him. I didn't care, right? The day before, I had, I beat, but he crushed me. And, and we were playing the course, and, and I, get, I went, and I was driving the ball, and it was a terrible drive. And I said, yeah, oh, man, my shoulder. I might have to get surgery on my shoulder. And I get in the car, and we're driving, and I start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing about? And I said, isn't it funny how when you play bad golf, 
you always blame everything else for why you're playing bad rather than just saying, I'm a mediocre golfer? <laughs> like, did I actually say that out of my mouth right now? Like, yeah, you know, it's, we, it's the course's fault or it's the green's fault or the wind or it, it's everybody else's fault. So my excuse for why I'm doing, I never take responsibility for my actions. I make excuses for why I did what he did. You ever notice in a football game when a receiver catches a ball, goes in the touchdown, and this happened two weeks ago, a guy caught the ball, went in for the touchdown, cornerbacks like came up limp, he's walking like I pulled my hamstring, right? And he comes up, next time, next time he's on the field, he's running just fine. But he's like, the only reason he scored is because I pulled something. <laughs> you know why that's so funny and none of you laughed? Only a few of you laughed. You know why it's so funny and only a few of you laughed? Because some of you have done it. In fact, all of us have done it. Some of you laugh. Some of us nervous laughing. <laughs> How about when your kids fail in sports? It's always the coach's fault. You know, we would have won if the coach would have played my kid. Because the coach just doesn't want to win anymore. He loves, like, I don't know that I ever met a coach that enjoys losing. But they would have played my kid. Like, there's always a reason why, did, not that my kid wasn't quite good enough. It, it would, you know, there are parents, that, I mean, your kid's got to be really bad for your parent to say, well, it was just, just not a sport. But most parents are like, it's always the coach's fault. And then we wonder why no one wants to be a coach. It's the ref's fault. The refs are always, because of the refs, we lost because of the ref. It's always, and we wonder why nobody wants the ref. This is always something that we're blind. Or maybe I preached a bad message, and you know why it is? You were all dead. <laughs> or I wasn't feeling well. Or it was too late when I had to do it, or it was too early, or the worship team, they just did a horrible job. No, maybe the reason was as I was bad because I didn't prepare. Wow. What if we quit disguising our excuses as legitimate reasons? Right? What if, what if we did, like when our kids are, okay, you, you need to go, well, no, and they give you an excuse. You know it's an excuse. Do you let your kids get away with making excuses? I hope not. And yet we expect God to let us get away with making excuses. Is it possible that some of our reason and becauses are just excuses? Could we start right there? Could we just start right there? To just make a statement, is it possible that some of the reasons and becauses that I'm putting out there to, to stiff arm God and to stiff arm people are really just excuses because I don't want to? Sure, these reasons we create that are excuses, we create them because maybe um, we, they're constructed with things that someone told you or said, you know, you know that's what's going to happen and we don't want to do that so we make excuses why we don't or, or someone called you or labeled you or expected of you and you failed and, and now that you've failed, you're like, you know, that's not, not, not my thing. I've already done it once. That's really not my thing. So you kind of stiff arm it. I'm not going to do that because I don't like looking bad or I don't want to risk. I'd rather just be a person that people think have a whole lot of potential than actually putting the rubber to the road to see if it is is potential is reality. There's a lot of people dying with potential. A lot fewer people that ever live it out. Is it possible 
that you have invented certain reasons to defend certain behaviors, reactions, or overreactions. Is it possible? Why do you always act like that when you're around my parents? Well, have you been around your father? If everyone else is around, look what happens. The reason I act that way is because of them. The reason I overact is because of them. Is it possible that we make excuses for why we procrastinate, neglect, or avoid certain activities in people? That we make excuses not because they're the problem, but because I don't want to? I'm not going to church. Well, why? All they want is your money. Or here's another one. All those people are hypocrites. Well, you should fit in just fine. Right? It's not because they're that way or that's the truth. It's because I've created paper walls or I've created excuses. I've created these things in my life that make me feel better about doing what I want so I can be disobedient to what God wants or disobedient to things or even push stiff. There are people God has put in your life to sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron. There are people God's put in your life to coach you or to mentor you and we stiff arm them. You can speak in my life as long as you're speaking what I want to hear. But the moment you say something that I don't like or I don't want to do, you just stay away. I'm going to stiff arm you. Isn't it funny how failure is fertile ground for excuses? When we fail at something, we just want to find something to blame. When I fail at is I, I didn't do well at that, so I want to blame other people, and there's all kinds of people we don't like because here, here's the thing. We, we, oftentimes, this is, this is an epithet of a, a failure, somebody who's failing. They make this statement, we're all the same. No, you're not. We're not all the same. Because not every, this used to irritate me when I was in my 30s and 20s. People would say that we're all the same. We're all the same. No, we're not. Dude, I made decisions that weren't easy. I didn't make excuses when you made excuses. We are in completely different places and I am not like you and you are not like me. Don't try to get my glory for what you failed to walk in. There will be people in heaven that will be rewarded because they were faithful to what God called them to do and they didn't make excuses and then there will be people who will not share in that glory because they made excuses, stiff-armed God, lived a boring, dead life and just made it into heaven because they believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth and then are going to expect for a communist gospel. It's not how it works, friend. God has an adventure for your life. There are some when you get to heaven, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there will be others who will hear, well, you're done. The root of our excuses is blaming something internal on something external. There's something inside of us, in me, that is causing these, re these responses, these reactions, these emotions. There are fears in me that don't want to take the step of faith to be obedient to what God's asking me to do because I'm afraid God won't be God in my life. What do you mean, Pastor? God, the first name God told man he was, the first name he says he was, outside of Elohim was Jehovah Jireh. 
If you've been in the Bible in a year, we talked about this on Wednesday. The first name he reveals to man is Jehovah. You know what Jehovah Jireh means? My God, my provider. That God never asks you to do anything. It's like, we're like, God says, I want you to go on a mission trip. And we're like, God, <laughs> I know you've been busy. The whole thing in Israel is probably taking a little bit of your time. I'm sure you're spending a lot of your time there, but you don't know God. You see, you, this is what's going on in my life right now, and this is what I got available to me. Like, God, I know you're busy, and I know you're name. and God's like, we like, like, we'll almost see God, and we're like, God's like, oh yeah, you know, that didn't occur to me that you were going through that. I, I'm sorry, I've been a little preoccupied with my kids over here that I didn't really know what was. God's not sitting there going, I didn't know. If God asked you to do something, the only obstacle in any of that is you. It's your willingness to step in faith to what God is. And, and what does it mean? What does it mean? You say, why is it God that wants me to step in faith? Because when you step into faith, what you're stepping into is a belief. You're telling God, I believe you're Jehovah Jireh for me. I believe that you see me. I believe that when I step into this, you're going to provide in ways I can't, and I'm going to experience something supernatural through your provision in my life. And then I won't be a boring Christian that tries to find excuses why I don't need to go to church this morning. Because I keep blaming everything on the outside. You know, the moment I believe that it is more to do with the external forces, I'm creating a wall around my life. I'm creating a prison around my life. And what I'm actually doing is I'm putting myself in this room where I'm aborting my influence, I'm abandoning my adventure, I'm ignoring my reality, and I'm avoiding opportunities. Isn't it true when I say I can't, we actually mean I won't? I'm afraid to try. We say, it's just not my thing. When in reality, I just don't want to. Or, I want to, but I'm afraid to. I'm afraid of what will happen if I jump into that. I'm afraid, afraid of what, so I'll make an excuse. I'll try to push it off so I don't have to have anxiety. There's some people that are looking to live a life, as I say almost every Sunday anymore, to arrive safely at death because we just don't want the anxiety of faith, of a faith-filled life. You see, our idea of faith is leaping into nowhere as if maybe God, like God chooses, well, I'm going to catch you today and I'm going to let you fall. And we think that somehow God isn't really the king of our life. See, see, you know why a life of faith is so important? Because a true king... Not a king in history. A true king, his responsibility is to take care of those in his kingdom. That's a true king. So if he is a true king, he has to know where all of his subjects are, and then he cares for them. He takes care for them. He has the responsibility to take care of them. But we don't see him as a king. We see him as a president, and we only choose what we want to obey. And because of the way we view him, we don't think he'll always catch us, because how many know we've never had a president that really cares about you individually? They just want your vote. 
No, he really liked my baby. He said she was the cutest baby he ever saw. I really liked that baby. <laughs> what are you missing out on because you made up an excuse? What opportunities have been missed because of excuses we've created due to broken ways of thinking? See, there is a relationship between our, your ability to follow Jesus and your willingness to push through your excuses that you call reasons. Our excuses are actually competing for lordship over our lives. An excuse becomes a king and a master. Your excuse becomes your boss. It becomes the thing that tells you what to do. You can't do that because you can't try that. You might die. You, you don't need to forgive. You, you, you won't succeed at doing that. You failed before. As a Christian, listen to this. Listen to this. As a Christian, you will spend the rest of your life singing about King Jesus while you obey King Excuse. I think God would be more content with you singing about your excuses and following him. So you have to disengage from your excuses. You look in Hebrews, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, who wrote Hebrews, um, but the writer of Hebrews is writing really a sermon. Hebrews is more of a sermon. And it was written to the Hebrew people who were going through persecution. And they were, he was trying, it was trying to inspire them to stay the course because they were really looking for excuses for not following Christ. They're looking for ways to somehow get out of the persecution they were going through. And in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uses this analogy of running, that they're running. And when you run, you're like, I wouldn't run with this. I'm not going to wear these shoes to run and I'm not going to wear a sweater. Like you're looking, you got you to gotta like get rid of the things that hinder your ability to run because you want to run well. And you want to run with clothing that's light. And, and, and this writer is saying is, don't get entangled in the sin and your attention of this world. And, and sin, really, when Jesus is talking about sin, he's not talking about five things you should do or five things you shouldn't do. He really is talking about two things. And here are the two things that really identify sin. This is really sin, uh, as Jesus illustrates it for us. In James 4, 17, it says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. What is that? When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, it's sin. And we stiff arm God because I don't want to do it. The sin is entangling our race and we're not experiencing the adventure he has for us. Here's the second thing he talks about. And he says this is the thing. He dominates what he talks about in almost everything. He says, when you harm people, hurting other people who are the object of God's love, even when those people harm you. You say, I have an excuse for why I hate them. They did this to me, and God says, it's not a reason. To you it is sin. What are you talking about? They killed my dog. Not a reason. They killed my spouse. Not a reason. Do you really think that anyone in this room has the ability to love people the way the King of Kings is asking us to love people without the help of the Holy Spirit? 
It's impossible. There is no way a believer in Christ can love people the way the Bible not only asks us to, not only commands us to, but demands us to. That's why it says, they will be known by their love for one another. What? That the Holy Spirit does something in us that we can't describe. Right? But we make excuses. I got an excuse why I can't. The reality is, making excuse is lying to yourself. And lying is a sin because it hurts people. You really can't have intimacy with anyone if you're lying to them. And you hurt those people when you lie. But lying to yourself is a sin because you're hurting yourself. An excuse is a lie we tell ourselves about ourselves. A sin of excuses entangling a lot of believers to prevent them from ever running the race God has for them. You know, James, go look in a mirror today. James, I've been holding you back. I've been telling you that you can't do things that God's been saying you can. James, will you forgive me for lying to you by the excuses I've put out there to keep you from having an adventure? Hebrews 12, 1 goes on, and you need to have that conversation maybe with yourself. Throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. A Christian believes that God has a race for your life. There is a purpose, and there's a purpose full of assignments. And the author is saying this, don't lose your own race that God has set up for you to win because of excuses. See, here's the thing. God is not trying to make your purpose so hidden that you can't find it. Like, people are like, it's not hard to obey God. Well, what does God want me to do? Well, he's not making it hard for you to discover. Most people who are asking, what does God want me to do? Want somebody to tell them what they want to do is good and they don't have to listen to what God wants them to do. You already know. Because God is not hiding it in the, in the tough places. God wants you to search it and you'll find and when you do, you'll understand. And you know what's great? God is going to cause you to win. But you got to walk in faith. So you need to stop focusing on yourself. If you live for yourself, you, you may need to take a picture of this because you'll have to think on this one. But if you live for yourself, in the end, you only have yourself to show for yourself. And those are painful funerals. You ever been to a funeral nobody has anything to say about the person because their entire life was spent living for themselves? I've had to do funerals like that. I've had to preach funerals like that. And, and I said, well, you know, and I say, you know, he had this collection. We just talk about everything he liked or she liked. And then we go on talking about how we need to live our life for something because we all come to this place. People who live behind fences live behind excuses. Rarely make much of a difference in the world because fences make a small Fences make us self-absorbed. Fences rob you and others of something God intended for your life and your life to mean in their life. Fences, excuses, are often selfishness disguised as humility. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, thank you for asking. I feel so honored that you'd ask. But I think so-and-so would be better than that. I really think, oh, you're so humble. Yeah, you know, I... I just really like elevating other people, you know, and lifting them up. Even though God has asked you to do it, you want to appear to be humble and you're really being selfish. 
You make excuses, so you try to distract them, to get them to go in other directions. Do, do you not know that God can see through all of that? And it really doesn't matter if me as a pastor or your campus pastor, the pastor or people even around you, friends can see through it. It really doesn't matter if they see through it or not. Isn't it funny how some of us will go live in the prison people are in? Like, we're like, you should go on the mission. Well, you know, I can't. Oh, you're right. You're right. Let's have coffee together in your prison. It's just so, let's sit. And we affirm people rather. What kind of friend does that? What kind of friend allows their friend to stay in a place God never intended because we're trying to protect our relation rather than say, you know what, I love you enough. I really think you should consider. Is this an excuse? Goes on in Hebrews, says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And look at this last part, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you'll have to stop manufacturing excuses. You'll have to stop hiding behind the why nots. This is why not. This is why I can't. This is why. And you need to start asking, why not? Why not? Why can't I do it? Why not? Why not pray for that person? Why not preach the gospel? Why not go on that missions trip? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? People who don't waste their energy on creating excuses rather spend it on engaging in our assignment. See, there is a relationship between our ability to run for run our race with endurance and our willingness to acknowledge that we're living behind our excuses. There is a relationship between growing into what you want to become and your potential with your willingness to acknowledge how excuses are preventing that from happening. Because we are followers of Christ. There is a connection between wanting to engage in what God is asking from us and our own insecurities that produce excuses working to give us a free pass. That's what it is. Our excuses are basically us saying, I want the free pass. If we're going to engage, I have to shut down the excuse factory. I gotta shut it down. And you know how difficult that is? It is so difficult because it's become part of the way we communicate. So, there are three questions I wanna ask you. Because just kill the bug. I just killed an excuse right there. There are three questions I want to ask you. Here's the first one. Have you had experience when you recognized you were making excuses and you decided to stop? And after allowing yourself to be, not allowing yourself to be robbed by your excuse, you discovered something that was incredible. You were making an excuse, you, you realized it, and then so you didn't let the excuse rob you of the opportunity. And then when you went through the opportunity, you were like, wow, that was a lot of fun. Do you remember those moments? You remember that moment? Have you ever done that? Here's this number two. While you were listening to this message, the Holy Spirit reminds you of something that you've been making excuses for as a way to avoid responsibility, obedience, or opportunity. Here's the third one. You can take pictures of this. Do you owe yourself an apology because of the excuses you've been lying to yourself with? Do you need to stand in front of a mirror and say, self, I'm sorry. See, life, life is hard. 
no, no. Jesus said life is full of problems and challenges. He never said life is hard. In fact, he said, come, give me your, give me your, your yoke. And I'm going to put mine on you. And it's light. He says, like, when you walk a life of faith, you think it's going to be tough. But in reality, when you're walking a life of faith, you live a life without anxiety. Because you know God's got it taken care of. If, if you knew every morning you woke up, everything is going to work out and it's going to be amazing. Even though it doesn't work out the way I want it to, even though it's not always the thing I wanted, but what God, every good and perfect gift comes from above, that God knows his plan. If, if I woke up every morning just thinking, God's got this, how many would say it'd be a lot easier life? God did not give you a spirit of fear. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. Satan does. Will you close your eyes, stand up and then close your eyes, Pastor Zach, come on up here. There is only one who can help you. I can only just bring your attention to something. But there's only one who can help you walk through this. I, I mean, the weight, it is so ingrained in our, every part of our life, making excuses like, Pastor, this is like telling me to change my personality. That's what I do. I'm good at it. I'm really good at making excuses. But you know you need something to change in your life because it's destroying your marriage even. It's destroying your work stuff. It's it's kind of, you, you see it now in your kids and you get mad at your kids when they're doing it but the Holy Spirit's like you know where they learned that from you, you see where they're learning that from and you're like it's got to stop it's got to stop the tree of knowledge of good and evil will not help you but the tree of life will and that's Jesus Christ and he said he was leaving so someone better could come so if we knew if Jesus was in the room he could fix some of this in me if the Holy Spirit is better, he's in this room right now and he can do this in you, but you have to ask. So will you just close your eyes for a moment, just for a moment, Pastor Zach's gonna come and take over, but will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you right now because he's about to do something in your life right now. He's about to change the way you think. 